All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Gospel of John, chapter number 1. Uh, we started our series last week through the Gospel of John and just looked at a sort of introductory message, laying the groundwork, uh, just trying to give us a big picture of the Gospel. And now we want to uh, enter into this and, and look to see uh, more specifically uh, what the, the Gospel of John teaches us. So we're going to begin this morning in chapter 1, verse number 1. And it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe in him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to every man, uh, gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As we start this morning, I just want us to, to contemplate the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? When it comes to answering that question, it's easy to say many things that are true without ever really getting into the depth of the issue. We can be tempted to stay at a very simplistic level. Sometimes theology, in particular the finer points of theology, can seem somewhat tedious. We just had a discussion about in, in Sunday school just today and then in the previous weeks, we've, we've been dealing with some of the finer points of, of, of theology. And uh, Jared, a couple weeks ago, was teaching on uh, the Trinity and, and the, the question was asked, uh, is, is this really essential? Is this something that, that we must believe? And uh, you see, part of the, the problem is that when we come to sometimes difficult issues or, or some things that are a little bit deeper, uh, our, our natural bias, sort of our, our worldview that we're operating with is, is to just want to dismiss that. As a, if it's difficult to understand, it must not be really that important. Uh, or it really must not be essential if, if it's that difficult. If it's hard to understand, can it really be essential? As we contemplate that question, who is Jesus? Uh, and, and we're going to see that this prologue or this introduction to the Gospel of John kind of digs deep into answering that question. It, it isn't the surface level kind of answer and we can we can be asking ourselves and we may want to push away from that and say is this really essential that we really think this deeply about who Jesus is but then we go back and we reflect on remember what I said what the was the purpose statement of the gospel of John in John chapter 20 verse 30 it says this now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book 
but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so we, we see there uh, that, that John says the purpose of this book is that I've written these things, I've written about Jesus, and I've recorded these signs and the things that he has done so that you may believe. But, but you notice that there's a substance to that belief, right? Uh, because sometimes we just want to say, well, being a Christian is believing in God, or it's believing in Jesus Christ, uh, and just kind of leave that at a very superficial level. But notice that there is, there's content to what we believe. We don't just believe vaguely in Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? Uh, that, that's something that is not uh, simplistic. Thankfully, the, the truth is simple enough for even a child to understand and believe, but it is not, uh, to say that, it does not mean that it is simplistic. As we reflect and contemplate on the simple expression, Jesus is the Son of God, we come to realize that there are depths to that statement that are, are simply beyond a, a simplistic understanding. And as we come to uh, this prologue or this introduction, I told you last week that chapter one is the introduction to the book. He's setting us up. He's saying, this is who Jesus is. And, and then the rest of the book, he's, he's working that out. He's showing us that what he has said in these first really 18 verses, this is, this is true. And as we look and think about this passage, what we see is that this is a rich and a deep theological meditation on the person or the identity of Jesus Christ. So let me just encourage you this morning, even as we begin, uh, again, just knowing that our natural bias is to say, oh, it's difficult. And that, that's over my head. I don't need to know that. I just need to know the simple gospel and, and that's it. Um, we, we don't want to have that mindset. We need to focus our minds. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. We are thankful that the gospel is simple in, in so many respects to understand and believe. There, there is a simplicity to it. And, and yet we don't want to stay on the most basic level, right? We're thankful that a, that a seven-year-old seven can hear the gospel about Jesus being the Son of God and, and believe and be saved. We're thankful that it's that simple, but that doesn't mean that we want to stay at the understanding level of a seven-year-old for the rest of our Christian life. We want to, to grow. So how do we answer this question, who is Jesus? Well, what we see here is several things, and I'm going to focus most of all on this first one. <clears throat> but there are three things that we, we would answer to that. First of all, Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I said last week that John was not written primarily to give us a full biography. He, he was aware of the other Gospels, and he was writing really to, to give us more of a reflection, uh, to, to think more deeply on who Jesus was. He wasn't writing to say, hey, I want to make sure you get all the details about Jesus' life, or I, wanna get, I want you to make sure that you get everything that Jesus ever said. That wasn't the purpose of John. John knew and understood that these other Gospels had been written and, and they laid out 
the, the details of Jesus' life. And now John is stepping back and writing later, and he's saying, I just want to reflect more deeply on who this Jesus is. And as John reflected upon Jesus Christ, he sought an adequate expression or, or an idea to accurately describe who Jesus is. And he looked back to the Old Testament and the Spirit of God led him to this metaphor. Jesus is the Word of God. What does it mean that Jesus is the Word of God? Well, first of all, I want us to see this morning the source of this term. Where does John get this term from? I said that he reflects from the Old Testament. Well, I think the thing that we should notice about this these first few verses, is that it ought to be absolutely clear to us that these first few verses of John are heavily influenced by Genesis 1. If you are familiar with your Bible and you begin reading John 1, immediately the purpose of the way that John phrases things is that your mind would go back to Genesis chapter 1. Listen to Genesis 1, 1 through 3, and just see the comparisons to, to what we have just read in John. So Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, it starts with the, the same words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Just look at all the connections between John 1 and Genesis 1. First of all, both of them refer to the beginning of time, in the beginning. That is, at the point prior to and leading into creation. So go back to before anything existed and there was simply God there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. So both refer to the beginning. Both refer to the creation of of this world. In Genesis, it says that God created. And in John, what we've just read, it says that all things were made through the Word. And without Him, what, there was nothing made. Both refer to God's Word. In Genesis, God creates by speaking. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God just spoke it into existence. And now, the Son is the Word through whom God creates. And both refer to light. In Genesis, the very first thing that God creates. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And now John refers to the Word, to, to Jesus, as light. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And he goes on to say, and the light shines in darkness. So all of those parallels, all of those connections between Genesis and John 1 lead D.A. Carson to say this. He says, the ultimate fountain for the, this choice of language cannot be in serious doubt. And so we see that, that this is connected to Genesis 1. This, this term, the word, goes back to this creation account in which God creates all things by simply speaking them into existence. But the th second thing I want us to see this morning is the development of this term. Yes, the word or this, this, this title that is given to Jesus, it's, it finds its origin in Genesis chapter 1, but it's developed throughout the Old Testament. You see, the Old Testament writers drawing from Genesis 1, 
they begin to do something and, and speak about God's word in a way that develops this idea or this concept even further than Genesis 1 does. In the Old Testament, uh, the word of God is personified. The, the writers personify this, this word of God. So you know what personification is. Uh, it means to attribute personal or human qualities to something that is not living, to an inanimate object, right? A, a non-living thing. And so we could say the old house stared back at us, daring us to enter. Well, houses don't stare, right? They don't have eyes and, and they don't dare you to do anything. You see, it's personification. You're giving the house uh, something like lifelike uh, qualities, even though it's not really a living thing. And that's what I'm saying here. When it comes to the Word of God, we, we go back to Genesis and we see God speaking things into existence. And then, and then the rest of the writers in the Old Testament begin to pick up on that and they begin to personify the Word of God. We saw already that the, the foundation of this personification was in Genesis 1 and God said, let there be light and there was light. You see how that gives the impression that God's Word in itself has the ability or the power to bring about what God speaks. And throughout the Old Testament, the, the personified Word of God is seen working in, in various ways. So, uh, in, in creation, in Genesis 33, verse 6, it says, By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their host. And so, again, the psalmist picks up on that and saying that, that the world, world was created by the Word of the Lord. And then we see, we see this in Revelation as well. God's Word is His self-expression which makes known His nature and His character and His will. So in Jeremiah 1.4 it says, Now the Word of the Lord came to me, saying... And so, so God is revealing Himself. Uh, we, we see the Word of God. you see how it's personified? The Word of the Lord came to me. It, it's as if the, the Word is distinct from God. The, the Word is doing something. The Word is revealing God. What is God doing when He sends His Word to His prophets? He's, he's expressing Himself and He's making Himself known. And so we see God's Word uh, working in creation, in revelation, and then also in salvation and judgment. So Isaiah 9.8, the Lord has sent a word against Jacob and it will fall on Israel. This is a word of judgment. And you, you see again, it's personified. God is sending out his word. He's saying, I'm going to bring judgment on you. But the way that that is described is by saying he sent out his word as if the word is going to be the agent that brings about that judgment. Or we could see this again in Psalm 107.19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Here's another one. And instead of judgment this time, God is bringing salvation. He sent out his word and he brought salvation. He sent out his word and he delivered them. Do you see the word of God is proceeding from God. He's sending it out and it's accomplishing his purpose and of course perhaps the the greatest or the most kind of classic passage 
about this is from Isaiah 55, verse 10. Isaiah 55, 10 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. So God here, God here is saying, when I send out my word, when I declare something to be, it's as if my word goes out and it accomplishes what I send it to do. It, it always brings about what I declare. So if we're to kind of summarize all of this concept that we find in the Old Testament from this Old Testament word that is, is personified, we could say this about the word of God. What is the word of God? Well, the word of God is the personal powerful agent of God which proceeds from him it expresses and reveals him and it accomplishes his purposes and so that's sort of the development of this term that's this concept and John is drawing from all of that in the Old Testament and he's saying when I reflect on who Jesus is the, the word is, is the perfect illustration or it's the perfect metaphor for understanding who Jesus is. And so we see thirdly the application of this term. D.A. Carson says the personification of the word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure, the person of his own son. And I would say more than just merely that it is suitable I would say that this is an ideal term to describe who Jesus is. You see, everything that the Old Testament attributes to God's Word is true of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, only in a greater way. So, so what do we say about the Word? Well, first of all, it proceeds from God. You see, a, a Word comes from within a person, meaning it can be identified with that person. If it's your word, it's an expression of who you are. It's, it's personal to you. You ever think about that? That It's my word. Your word is, even though it is sort of outside of you, yet it's identified with you. And so as it comes out, it's distinct from you. And, and there's this distinguishing, and, and yet it remains your word. This means that God's word can be identified with God himself, yet at the same time, it's distinct from him. And the same is true of the son. The son proceeds out from the father. There's a, there's a distinction there, and, and yet there's an identity with God the father. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. You see, there's both unity and and distinction and so the word proceeds from god but then the word secondly reveals god that's that's what words do isn't it when we begin to to speak what are we doing what does a word do it, it, it conveys your mind it, it conveys something about who you are or something about what you believe words are expressions of who we are you know, you can, you can know relatively little, if anything, about someone until they begin to speak and tell you 
uh, about themselves. And if that's true on a human level, it is much more true of our invisible God. In the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophets. God's word went from the prophets and, and God revealed himself. He revealed his nature and his will and his, his character. He did this, though, as, as he spoke. It was always occasional. It was partial and, and it was indirect. What I mean by that is when God spoke, it was occasional. It, it wasn't constant. It just came at certain times to certain people at certain points in history. And, and at other times, God was silent. God did not speak. God did not reveal himself. This revelation or this word of God in the Old Testament was also partial. God did not fully reveal himself. He just gave small glimpses of himself all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, small glimpses of his nature and of his will and of his character. And, and much of that revelation was even just in response to or, or situated in what was going on in that culture in that time. And his revelation was always indirect. It came through human agency. He, he sent his spirit who spoke through men and they used language which could not perfectly capture all that God is. But when we think about Jesus Christ then, in contrast to that, in the New Testament, God has spoken through Him. Jesus, as the Word of God, has come forth from God and, and is perfectly has perfectly revealed God to us. You see this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, it tells us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And so, uh, verse 8 goes on to tell us that no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. This Word, the Son of God who comes forth from God the Father, has revealed God, and He's done so perfectly he's done so completely this is what the writer of hebrews is referring to as well in hebrews chapter one it says long ago and at many times and in many ways god spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. You, you see the, the distinction He's making there? When God spoke His Word in the Old Testament, He spoke at many different times. It was occasional. And in many different ways to our fathers by the prophets. He spoke through these prophets. There, there's, there's this Word that is being spoken in the, in the Old Testament. And it comes at different times and in different ways. It's, it's partial and it's, it's limited. It comes through uh, imperfect human beings. But now, he says, He has spoken to us by His Son. This is a once-for-all revelation. This is the final Word of God. And so it's not occasional. It's final. It's a complete message. It's not partial. The, the Word has completely revealed the Father. And it's not indirect. God Himself in the Word has taken the form of a human being. The third thing that this Word of God does is that it accomplishes 
God's purposes. It accomplishes God's purposes. The, the word is seen to be in the Old Testament, the power of God, which is sent out to accomplish his purpose. Remember what Isaiah 55 10 and 11 says, I've, I've sent out my word. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. And so the word of God accomplishes what he sends it to do. And again, this applies perfectly to Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? He's the word of God who who is one with the Father and proceeds from Him. Who, who is Jesus? He's the Word of God who perfectly reveals the Father. Who is Jesus? Well, He's the Word of God that is sent out from God and accomplishes the purpose of God. And in John's Gospel, Jesus is indeed presented as the one who's sent by the Father and, and He's sent out with a mission to accomplish. And as we will go through the Gospel of John, we're going to see that that mission is to bring salvation to God's people. We could think of the, the passage we all know, uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so here, the Word of God has been given. It has been sent out to accomplish the redemption of God's people. So who is Jesus? Well, He's the Word of God who proceeds from the Father reveals the Father and who accomplishes the purposes of the Father. Secondly, this morning, we could just simply say, not only is Jesus the Word, we could say that Jesus is God. I think when we stop and reflect on everything that we read in this passage, it should be abundantly clear to us that, that this is making the claim here in these verses that Jesus is divine. He is God. Only a, a being who is equal to God can be said to have this sort of relationship of proceeding from the Father. Only God can fully and perfectly reveal God. And only God can accomplish God's works. And so what we've already seen in considering the fact that Jesus is the Word what would already lead us and indicate that, that Jesus, that John rather, uh, is showing us the divinity of, of Jesus Christ. But there are other things that we notice in this passage as well that would point us to the fact that, th that John is saying right at the start, who is Jesus? He, he's God. And, and there are several things that I want to point out here as we contemplate this. First of all, we see that, that Jesus is co-eternal, that this word, uh, who is Jesus, is co-eternal. Look at verse number one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so what John is doing here, he's saying go back to the beginning. Remember Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth? The, the, the idea of Genesis 1-1 is that there was, there was nothing in existence. When you go back to the beginning, there was only God, and God then created the heavens and the earth. And now John is saying, I want you to go back to that same point, to the beginning of time. I want you to go back there, back to when God created everything that is in existence. And when you go back to the beginning, what you find is that the Word was already there. The Son of God was already in existence. 
What this helps us understand is that Jesus is not a created being. He's not something that, that God created as part of this created realm. When you go back to the beginning, in the beginning, the Word already existed. Now, that word, in the beginning, was. That, that word is an important word because there, there's, a, there's one word that means that someone comes into being. And, and there's another word that, that means that that existence is already there. And that's what is used here. In the beginning, when you go back to the starting point of everything, the word existed at the beginning. You see in verse number six, there was a man sent from God, talking about John the Baptist, his name was John. That's the word, there, there began to be a man. There, there came a man. In other words, there was an existence and then, then he came onto the scene. But when we go back to verse number one, it, it isn't that word. It wasn't in the beginning, the word came into existence. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying in the beginning, when you go back to that starting point, the word was already there. So the word, the son of God, predates the beginning of all things. Later, the Pharisees will we'll come to this passage later on. And I know you've heard me quote it before. But the Pharisees were ready to kill Jesus because he claimed to be eternal. In John 8, 56, it says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I told you that that is a word, that I am expression is a word that is meant to point us back to the name of God in the Old Testament. But, but what Jesus is indicating, as much as that, is he's indicating, hey, I existed before Abraham existed. Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. Jesus Secondly, is co-equal with, with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God. Uh, this means when you, when you go back to the beginning, there is the Word with, with the Father. And B.B. Warfield says this, it is not merely coexistence with God that is asserted as two beings stand side by side, what is suggested is an active relationship of communion. And so the one who was eternally with the Father in this kind of fellowship with Him must be equal with the Father. If, if you're going back and you're saying there was the Word standing with God in the beginning, we're talking about a being who is equal with the Father. And this is, again, what Jesus claims later on in the book John 5 verse 18 he says this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath but he was even calling God his own father making himself equal with God in the beginning was the word the word was with God he was equal to the father Jesus is co-eternal he's co-equal and Jesus is a co-creator as well, look at verses 3 through 4. All things were made through Him, that is, through this Word, through the Son of God. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light 
of men. And so here, the, the act of creation, which is clearly an act of God, is attributed to the Son, to the Word. And so He is the one who creates all things. And so He's co-equal, He's the co-creator. And then there's a, a big fancy word that, that we'll use here. Uh, he's consubstantial, uh, which means that He is of the same substance. And that was one of the, the great debates in, in church history. Uh, is, is Jesus, is this word, is He just like God? He's maybe another God who's separate or distinct. So we have God and then the word who's, who's another divine being. No, no, no. He's of the same substance. He is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He is very God. All of this is why John can say the Word was with God and the Word was God. So who is Jesus? Well, He's the Word of God. He, he's the one who is sent out from God to do the will, to reveal God and to accomplish His purposes. We, we could say, secondly, that Jesus is God. And then thirdly, we could say that Jesus is the light. Verses 4 and 5 again. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And he goes on in that passage in verse number 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so when we understand that Jesus is the Word of God, He is God Himself who proceeds from God and He comes forth to reveal God, this helps us understand what exactly He's talking about when, he's, when He calls Jesus the light. The, the, he is the revelation that is sent out from God and, and, and is meant to make God known. It's clearly here drawing from this uh, creation narrative where God says, let there be light. And now we have the Word who, who is coming out from the Father and He is the light. But John isn't using this in a natural sense of, of just being light like, in, like we have. Uh, he, he's using it in a spiritual sense. And we know that light represents the revealing of, of holiness and, and the goodness of God. The Bible says that God is light. And so Jesus, as the Word, is the one who reveals the Father. He is the source of all true spiritual knowledge, all true spiritual life. And He's bringing light into this dark world. We could say, finally, as we bring this to a close this morning, D.A. Carson again says this, in, in John's Gospel, it is repeatedly the case that light shines on all and forces a distinction. In other words, what he's saying here is this light proceeds from God. It makes God, it makes God known. It reveals God and it forces us to a distinction. How do you respond to this light? Jesus is, the, he is God. He's the Word who has been sent out from God to reveal God. And so as you see Jesus Christ, as you see this light, what is the response? We notice here what John says, and we're not going to go into a lot of detail because we're going to see this response again and again throughout the Gospel. In fact, all of these themes are going to come up again and again. But, but notice what he says in verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world, and the world was made through him, 
yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, what he's saying is here, God has sent out his word. He's revealed himself to humanity. He, he has made himself known. He has sh- shown the light of who he is on humanity. And what is the response? Well, he says he came to the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, talking about the Jewish people. His own people did not know him. They, they did not receive him. But notice what he says here. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so as we close this morning, we, we just want to ask, and I, I told you that the Gospel of John is sort of a gospel of decision. It talks about a lot, not at all about faith, but it talks a lot about believing. It, it talks a lot, as it does here, about receiving this message. And so God this morning has made himself known. He's revealed, he said to the world, this is who I am. He has sent his son who is the, the perfect self-expression of God and he said this is who I am and the question is what is your response to him do you receive him do you believe him this morning let's pray our heavenly father as we come to you this morning we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your son Jesus Christ we thank you for this perfect self-expression We thank you that you sent your son into the world to accomplish your purpose of of salvation. And I pray this morning for all who are here uh, that they would receive him, that they would believe in his name, and that as they do that, they would be given the right to become your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.